Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face And still another hundred miles to my next resting place Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car I'm all alone But feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey there, listeners. I am so excited to talk to you. Uh, I have another podcast to share with you. We're doing another bonus for you. And the reason for that is because I love this woman. Her name is Shanna, and she runs the Sense of Soul podcast. If you have not listened to this podcast yet, you are missing out. Uh, So Shanna and I just have this little love affair going on. So, But uh, I'm going to share with you her podcast on forgiveness, which I think is a perfect... So enjoy. Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul podcast, enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. And in today's episode, we have Jeff Thompson. He is a BAFTA-winning writer, a filmmaker, screenwriter, spiritual teacher, prolific British author, and martial arts expert. And he's joining us today to share his book on forgiveness, 99 Reasons to Forgive, and Revenge Ain't One. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice to meet you. Where do you join us from? Uh, From Stratford-upon-Avon. Stratford is the birthplace of Shakespeare. All of the buildings in Stratford Centre are are as they were in Shakespeare's time. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Excited to talk about your book. And it's something that we haven't talked about in a long time. And I think when it comes to what holds people back, I think of fear often, you know, the fear to forgive. And yeah, I do think it's so important because I think it's such a heavy energy that people carry. Very true. Forgiveness is a complicated and complex subject. My book is offering like a new denotation on forgiveness. The discussion with forgiveness has always been, should somebody be forgiven? And if they should be forgiven, to what degree should they be forgiven? And how many times should we forgive? But it's always presuming that forgiveness means pardon. But forgiveness doesn't mean pardon. We haven't got the power to pardon people as human beings. That's a divine attribute. I don't have the power to pardon you or you to pardon me. The courts don't even have that power because unless you're contritely remorse, whatever sin is in you is not going to be released. So there's a higher power, a reciprocal, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent power that levels the hills and fills the valleys. We don't have that power. What we do have the power to do is to give it over to that power. It's an intellectual distinction, but it's the difference between holding on to something hoping for justice and fearing that justice won't come and recognising that justice is already guaranteed. That's already guaranteed because it's a reciprocal universe. You know, the law of causation settles all the books. So we don't have to worry about justice. Justice will be served. So because we hold on to it and the ego thinks it's got the power, can hold on to this and I hold the power over whether or not you're pardoned. It's just a delicious bond or entanglement of energy. So between you and the whoever it is that you're holding the resentment for, the fear, as you say, of letting go of it blocks energy. It contains energy, you know, fear, anger, resentment, dissonance, these confusions, the need for witness revenge. That is a living energy and it contains light, but it also blocks light. It stops the flow of light. It actually acts as a filter for light. So 
when I was abused at the age of 11 by a beloved teacher, every decision I made from that point onwards, unconsciously, but every decision I made was filtered through the film of fear. So that energy holds light, it filters light, it blocks light, it stops the flow of light, a bit like some fat in an artery or in a vein, how it blocks the flow and, and can create physical death, we can create spiritual death. So this book is saying, obviously, there's a lots of great discussions about forgiveness, but they are all, they're all centered around, should someone be forgiven? And who should be forgiven? Everyone should be forgiven. Everyone. Because when we forgive, we give it over to a power that knows how to settle the balls. And obviously, I'm, I'm afraid not to forgive, as I'm paraphrasing Al-Ghazali, because I'm afraid not to be forgiven, because I know how many things I've done wrong myself. So karma or uh, reciprocity is a fatberg, and we all contribute to it, everybody. Everybody contributes in their own way a little bit. And if you contribute a little bit, you know, you're responsible for all of it. So what we learn to do is to quote Gurdjieff is to love everything that breathes. So we give over anything that threatens to block the flow of spiritual light, or you could call it consciousness or elixir or the philosopher's stone. There's lots of names for this. We call it the attractive forces, love. A lot of the names sound a bit sickly sweet, but actually it's a very, very powerful, medicinal, creative force that gets hijacked by anger, by fear, by confusion, uh, by envy, by greed, by gossip, you know, by all the things we see on the newspapers. So I don't need to concern myself with corrupt politicians, with greedy bankers, with violent fundamentalists. The business of the world is not my business. As Rumi said, what fruits do you bring? So the business for me of the world is the business of the soul. It makes sure I've got to make sure that I keep this spiritual energy flowing and don't let it get hijacked and blocked. As, as you rightly said at the very beginning, the key word, fear. There's only one legitimate fear, and that's the fear of being disconnected from our source, disconnected from God. That's the only legitimate fear. All other fears, non-fears, they're not real. So if we allow a parasitical force or a virus or a semi-autonomous thought form or a pain body, as Eckhart Tolle would call it, if we allow it to take over our autonomy by blocking us with fear, we no longer have autonomy. We have another force working through us and creating karma in the world for us that we will have to meet at some point. So I'll come back to what Rumi said again. Forget the business of the world. What fruits are you bringing? I need to make sure that what I think, I say, I do comes from a place of love. It is congruent with wisdom and with love. That's the practice. That's the work. And that's difficult because most people can't even go a day without having a negative opinion, without gossiping without thinking or saying or doing something unkind, even if it's only a little thing, even if it's only like a venal sin, still adds to the fat bird channel, you know. So for me, the work is always on the self. The world is a distraction. All of these cartoon villains that are portrayed on our television, they are there to entice and to capture our energy by giving us outrage and giving us fear. First of all, we bring ourselves back to balance and then we can contribute to the world. Then we can chip away at the fat bird we can either be neutral and just observe, or we can just add love to everything we do. That will chip away at it. And I feel that when you are basically kept hostage by such energies that are living within you, it is really truly the freedom and the sovereignty that you feel for the self as you forgive someone. So really forgiving someone I have found is actually for myself. Yeah, it's always for you because it captures your energy, hijacks it. And the worst thing is it takes over your autonomy. You no longer have free will. While you hold any resentment to anybody else, you are bound to them. It's like a, like a tube connecting the two of you. You are quantumly entangled and the two of you can't be seen as separate. So even over time and space, even if you're separated by time and space, 
even if you're separated by death, that person can still climb inside you or that parasite that they've left in you, that energy, that thought form, and it can still take over. So somebody that abuses you 30 years ago, even if they're dead, they can still be abusing you now because they've left that virus in you. So forgiveness is the antibody that climbs in and finds that. And I wouldn't say it kills it. I would say it converts it. So in Judaism, the philosophy in or the theology in Judaism is not that we kill darkness or kill evil. It's that we recognize that it contains light and we convert it to light or that it contains consciousness and we convert it to consciousness. So it's no longer filtering our pure energy through it. If you imagine it's like, I think in Judaism, they call it the clipot. It's like a darkness that has several layers of darkness surrounding this piece of this tincture of light, this tincture of wisdom or God. And when we forgive it, we give it over. The nature of the fear is liberated and the effulgence comes over to us and we expand in consciousness. So each time we forgive somebody, we take our autonomy back a little bit more and a little bit more. So this is saying to people two things. One, this isn't about my sorry story of abuse. This is saying to people there is life after abuse. There is knowledge after abuse. There is consciousness. You can go up a grade after abuse because the abuse I suffered put me on a journey of discovery. I wanted to know why I was suffering. I wanted to know why I'd got no autonomy. So it sent me on this deep dive of study to find out what reality really was. And every time I overcame a fear and every time I forgave somebody or gave that over, that was liberated. I let them go. It could no longer feed off me. They had to go and look after their own repentance. And I literally expanded. So the world I look at today out of my window is not the world I looked at when I was possessed by one of these parasites at the age of 23, when I was self-harming, sexually self-harming and being violent in the world, either being violent or being depressed. The world I look at now, I'm, I'm living in a grade two listed barn conversion, 100 yards from where Shakespeare was married. That is not a change of location, Shana, that's a change of perception. And perception can only change if we convert the old perceptions, the old beliefs, the old angers into light. And again, when you say light, it can sound very kind of socks and sandals. But when, when you think about it as consciousness or awareness or elixir, this, this has a, an absolutely life transforming power and it's available to everybody. But at the moment, it's being bled by the vampire of anger of uh, injustice or the sense of injustice but there can't be an injustice in a in a reciprocal world there can't be there is always there will always be justice eventually so i don't worry about him over there being outed and have me having witnessed revenge or justice i concentrate on the corrupt politician in me i concentrate on the, the greedy banker in me the violent fundamentalists they are there you know, some of them, as Krishnamurti would say, are thousands of years old. You know, we've inherited them. This is a genetic curse. But it's also a genetic gift. Because if we recognize that each of these beliefs, each of these angers, each of these outrages contains light, and that light is being consumed in us by these feelings, we can convert that light, have the effulgence for ourselves. We can confront these demons we can absorb 99% of the darkness so it spills back out and retain the light. That way you can genuinely have autonomy. If you're going to watch the television screen and feel outraged the moment you see this politician or that banker or that celebrity or this person, if you feel outrage or anger or judgment every time you see it, you have to remember that your autonomy has just been stolen. Literally, your causal body has been taken over and it's acting as you and through you in the world. So semi-autonomous thought forms are climbing inside you and they're feeding off the food bank called Jeff Thompson or whoever you are. So we don't allow that. We recognize the rules. We recognize the laws. We recognize that our battle isn't really with people. Our battle is with principalities, to paraphrase St. Paul, with dark forces. They are out there, just like the forces of electricity are out there. Um, and these forces can be seen as an enemy. 
if you want to see them as an enemy, or you can look at them and go, well, if I can convert that, those enemies, that, that those forces that are in me, I can create light from that. I can actually benefit from this. There is a massive amount of energy in there. So, so there's some kid out there now who's been abused and been, uh, you know, been mistreated. What I'm saying to them is all that energy you feel inside you, that rage, you know, that depression, you know, that sense of injustice, that need for witness revenge, that's a massive energy that you can convert now. It's cash in the bank. They've given you that to you. And if you can let them go and trust in reciprocity, trust in justice, it is there. Trust in it. You only have to watch, if you watch the telly for 12 months these days, you're watching people being brought to justice again and again and again. Even the most powerful, even royalty, even people at the very top of, you know, of politics are being brought to justice again and again and again. We need to just concern ourselves. If we're talking about truth and reconciliation, which we are, that truth and reconciliation needs to occur in us. If we're talking about equality, there needs to be an equality in us, not, not some lower elements and some higher elements. If we're talking about the wealth divide, you know, we need to find that we need to find that balance in us because there are parts of us that are poor with knowledge and ignorant and the parts of us that are rich in knowledge. And that, those, that, that equality or that wealth divide needs to be um, balanced within us. And when we get that right, the world will mysteriously look after itself. <laughs> that would be nice. Well, it's there. And, it, and, it, and I wouldn't ask anybody to believe me. I, you know, I'm, it's not something I'm trying to prove. My word isn't enough. It's something that you need to research. It's something you need to do the study on. It needs rigor, you know, and, and to do the rigor, you need energy. But where is that energy? It's lent out to the 10,000 things. We, our energy is so watered down by all of the mortgages that we've taken out with, and all the covenants we've taken out with different beliefs that we haven't got the energy to challenge reality. So the Buddhists say that we first have to recapture all, all our energy by breaking those covenants. Mm -hmm. Then we have enough energy to challenge perception, to go beyond the stratosphere of old perception and find a new level of living, a new level of belief. And then when you find it for yourself, it's a certainty. In Islam, they call it yakin, which means the truth is undeniably right in front of you. Yakim is one of the 99 names of God in the Quran. It actually is an attribute of God. In, in other words, it contains within that little kind of tincture of wisdom, it contains all of God. So when we have certainty about something, nothing can take it away. Nothing can deny it. It's very powerful, but we have to really fight for that. We have to fight against the 10,000 beliefs that are thrown at us every single day that are all subjective, that are all full of anger, that are all full of hate or judgment, or full of self-pity, or full of all of those delicious things that parasites like to feed off. We don't have to play that game. We don't have to go to that party. So anybody out there who's suffering now, you can begin the end of your suffering by no longer engaging the anger, no longer identifying with the anger, no longer, no longer taking that thought and letting it incarnate that. The, probably the best book in the world at the moment for this specific technique, if you want to go directly to it, is Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. It's a book about exorcising what he would call pain bodies or parasites. Energy is that feed off our life force. And his technique is basically the whole of Buddhism. It's based on dependent arising. It's basically saying that reality exists at the level of engagement. If we don't engage these thoughts, they have no life. If we don't identify with them, they have no life. They wander around the stratosphere in their own frequency. And when we engage them or identify with them, when we couple with them and give them a scent, they take over our body. We think these thought forms are us. And then the act who's in the world and create lots of problems. And then we go, I don't know what happened. It wasn't myself. It was out of character. I don't know why I did it. I have no idea why I did that. And it's because it wasn't us. Because we haven't got any defense against it. Because we haven't got an awareness on our mind door. It, it just enters like an open pantry. The practice, and I want to excite people out there and say to them, the practice is all within you. 
It's an, it's an inside job. You won't fix it by fixing that politician, that banker, that neighbour, that barking dog. All of it can be fixed in you. So people are trying to fix the world at the level of the screen. But you won't fix the world at the level of the screen. You've got to come back to the projector. You've got to change the film. And the film is us. That's our perceptions, our cognitions, our precepts, our concepts, our beliefs. It's a big job, but it's singular. It's just within you. I agree. You said that very beautiful. The Power of Now, The New Earth is one of my favorite books, probably my most recommended. And you said it much more beautifully than I would have. I always say that it's a great way to stop sitting in other people's shit with them and allowing them to sit in their own shit. (laughs) Yeah. If you allow yourself to be angry at somebody, you are bound to the nature of your anger. You're entangled with them. The way to disentangle is to say, I'm not going to do that. Does it come from a place of wisdom and love? No, then don't think it, don't say it, don't do it. You have the power to do that. It will take practice. Mm -hmm. What I like about Eckhart's book is that it's taken all of the different faiths and it's come up with a single thing that we can all do, which is we can choose what we think or what we choose to engage and what we don't choose to engage, or we can be completely neutral. But it's a very muscular book. It's an entry-level book offering you an Olympic-level technique. It needs practice. You're not going to change the world if you can't change your own waist size. If you're getting tapped out by cigarettes and red wine 10 times a day, mm-hmm. by judgment or by unqualified opinion, if you can't actually control your own physical and mental body, it will be very difficult. But that's where you can start. You can go, well, if this magic is real, which we know it is, then let's prove it on my body. You know, have I got autonomy? Am I being defeated every single day by foods I eat? And I'm not worried about the foods people eat. I'm worried about what they're feeding. It's not what they're eating. Because when, when we can't control our autonomy with our food, our food body permeates through all the other bodies, through the subtle bodies. It compromises the will force. And the will force, the causal body or the bliss body, is the one, it's the working arm of the soul. It's the closest to the soul. That's what they would call in the Christian Bible the kingdom. So if you let any kind of other force take over your kingdom, you haven't got a kingdom. They will let you think you're in charge. But every time you want to overeat, you run to the pantry. Every time you want to watch sexual pornography or violent pornography or gossip, you know, this thought form takes over your autonomy and goes and does it. Eckhart's book is a very beautiful and gentle introduction to this. I would say it's the best book in the world. To go directly to this, you need to start working on it immediately. But that's exciting because the world is insoluble and that creates dissonance, cognitive dissonance. So we don't know how to fix it. So we cast judgments or we give money to charity, but it doesn't fix anything because the issue is back here. It's not, we're not trying to fix the world. We're trying to come back to the projector and we're trying to change the film. And that might mean challenging thousands of years of culture, thousands of years of belief, perception. It might mean going against your family and friends and the people around you because they're quite happy to sit in that shit. But but I'm not and you're not. But let's change it. But let's prove it to ourselves. Can I take my clothes off and stand in front of the mirror and go, I've made this magic work on my own body. I am in charge of my physical body. I'm in charge of my breath body. I'm in charge of my mind and intellect. I can make it do the work it needs to do in order for me to expand. And in order for me to contract ego and expand consciousness, do people bypass the the things that are right in front of us because they think they're not important? But if the devil's going to enter anywhere, he's going to enter at the level of food because that sits in the gross physical body and it permeates through, a bit like poison in a well. You know, eventually it affects the whole village, doesn't it? Hmm. So we can start by going... uh, Yeah, this is important. You know, my physical body is important. Of course it is. If I put clean water through a dirty hose, it's going to come out dirty. That's just standard. And that's what we are. We're a tabernacle. We're a a hose. We're a vessel for the light of God, for the light of consciousness. And it needs to keep flowing. There's a lovely line from Rumi. (laughs) He says, uh, the water wheel receives the water and gives it all away, weeping. That's the only way it stays in the garden. So we have to receive this energy and keep it flowing and keep giving it away. We don't hold on to it greedily. 
We're not jealous husbands. You know, we keep it moving. We don't let it get polluted by anger, by hate, by distance, by confusion. We take control of all our bodies and we go, I don't understand this. Okay. Well, that's a great Dharma gate. I don't understand this. That's a Dharma gate. Let's go through that. There's a university behind that gate and we can start to learn. The moment you open that gate, you will be noticed. There'll be angelic forces out there, which are very real intelligences that will go, this is Jeff or this is Shana. This is what she wants to do. And this is what she wants to learn. And this is the pace you can work at. And we're going to assist her because it benefits them to assist you just as it benefits you to assist the people that maybe that are a couple of rungs down the ladder from you. So it's exciting for all the people out there who may be suffering, because I'm saying to them, your suffering contains light. Don't keep suffering. Turn into it. Investigate it. Be curious about it. The brain has a very strange quirk where it can't deal with fear and curiosity at the same time. So be curious about your fear. Be curious about that depression that's stopping you from expanding. You know, is it really that powerful? You know, how long is it going to sit around if you actually turn into it? If you, instead of running away from it and covering it with medication or with alcohol or with whatever you cover it with, why not turn into it and say, come in, have a sit down, have a cup of tea, stay as long as you want. This is Eckhart's technique, who is the meister of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, and as you were saying this, what's arising as I scan through some inventory of what I may have thought I'd forgiven. Yeah. Sometimes we think we did forgive or we say we actually do forgive, but yet there's this resentment and bitterness that still resides within. And one of mine recently has been against my religion that I was born into. And, you know, I definitely feel like I have you know, religious trauma syndrome or RTS is mm. the new term. And, you know, as much as I can say, oh, I've made peace with this or whatever, I'm still very angry and bitter and still going through it. Do you find sometimes we're just saying we forgive things, but actually at the core we have not? Yeah. Well, I spoke to a friend recently and he said, I've, I've forgiven my mom and dad. He said, but I'll never forget. I will never forget. I said, so you're still angry at them? And he goes, well, well, I'm never going to forget it. I said, so you're feeding it and starving it at the same time. Your parasite has let you believe you've forgiven, but you haven't. You're still feeding it. I said, you can't feed it and starve it at the same time. You know, I said, have you made any mistakes? He goes, yeah, a lot. And I said, do you want to be forgiven? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, you'll be forgiven to the degree that you can forgive others. If we go beyond the, and I, I don't, obviously, I don't know your trauma, but I'm looking at religion generally. The revealed books are binary. You know, it's like, yes, no, right, wrong. This is the truth. We don't question it. That's the binary revealed Bible. But there is a quantum Bible. There's a hidden Bible beyond that, which when you go into, it automatically recognizes you. Now, all the stuff we see in religion that repels us, that pushes us away, is a house ghost. It says, don't come here. There's fire and thorns here. Don't come here unless you're serious. Unless you're serious about the business of perception. And changing reality, don't come here because we're just going to scare you away with all the usual things. You know, so most people are scared away by the binary book, which is can be quite insulting in its assertion of certain things. But when you go beyond that and you go through that Dharma gate, you hit the hidden books, the esoteric. It isn't any of those things. You might go into the, the Old Testament, then you've got the Torah, and then you've got the Zohar, then you've got the Tanya, you've got all of these great commentaries on these books you go into something like the Zohar for instance which is the commentary on the exegesis of the Torah the Old Testament and the Zohar is quantum you might go through there and not understand anything but your soul will understand it it'll read it like a barcode you might not understand any of it but the devil will understand it just like you might not understand an antibiotic but the, the virus will understand it okay don't worry about that so you go into these books you might read and take 50 notes that, that are all disparate. They don't really connect. But when you bring those notes together and then do notes on the notes and notes on the notes on the notes, you'll end up with, you'll end up with a single concept nucleus, like an acorn that you can open and grow that has the potential to become 500 years old, 200 foot high, and produce another million acorns with the same potential. That's what one single 
concept nucleus can do. So that's in the very Bibles we reject. And we reject them because the house ghost of whatever it is, you know, this obviously there's been lots of abuses and, and, and lots of fundamentalism in all of the religions, but they're still house ghosts. If we go beyond that, if we're serious and we go beyond that, you'll enter the Dharma gate. Well, I went into the Zohar. I, I, it took me six months for a full-time reading to finish it. It's 26 volumes. I had 70 pages of notes, which I reduced to one word. One word, breath. But that one word is a concept nucleus. Breath means pneuma, spirit, elixir, the philosopher's stone. It was just a library of more interesting things. So I started to explore that. I started to go into the different levels of breath, like the oxygen in the food, the prana in the breath, which is for the lower and higher soul. And then for the higher soul, you've got the tinctures of wisdom, which you can only get when you've got the lower souls connected. So, you know, this single nucleus led me on to a whole, at the moment I'm writing a book that so far is 450,000 words long. Just from these tiny single nucleuses. So if you go into the hidden Bible, all of that stuff has disappeared. It will just say, this is Jeff, or this is Shana. This is what she needs to see. And your message is hidden in there. Nobody else could find it because it has your blueprint. It has your DNA on it. Literally, nobody could find it. It's hidden. It's only, it would only be revealed to you. And it will only be revealed to you if you're able to control the ego enough and use the ego energy as fuel for the volition of the work, because it will be very demanding. I would say to people, don't let three letters, God, repel you. Don't let religion repel you. Don't let people tell you that religion is responsible for this and responsible for that. That's all house ghost. That's all exterior stuff in a binary book. When you go into the quantum book, into the hidden book, it is magical. It is so mysterious, and it's so absolutely personal and individual to you and it will tell you what you want to see if you're ready to see it but you need to be ready for that because when you see the truth as Aeschylus says you know knowledge is painful because you're going to look at it and go oh yeah I'm not as smart as I thought I was I'm not as far ahead as I thought I was that's yeah. where my bitterness started. I've been studying the Gnostic Gospels. Well and yeah. Mr. Sophia is really my main study. And yeah. I have a whole side podcast on it. Are you still stuck with it? Do you still have a resentment? As I begin to meet a new Jesus, um, new perspectives, new concepts, and even found some beauty and saw in between the words in the Bible. Yeah. But there's still so much dogma that I feel angry about. And sometimes I still do. But what has been hidden has become my purpose to yeah. reveal and uncover. And what voices had been stolen is now my purpose to right. speak for those who can't or for for those who have um, lost their voice and mm -hmm. definitely the divine feminine um, in the Gnostic gospels um, in, in the Bible, hidden, but obvious, yeah. but there is still some bitterness that I have to work on. This is something that truly, I think that's why, you know, they have termed it as a trauma syndrome because mm -hmm. it is so traumatic. You know, I was going to be this before I was born for generations and generations deeply rooted in me and so i'm going against something that is in me physically mm. but yet is a burning desire within me to speak on it and that's why i have my podcast but it is something that is still within me because like you said you have to be quiet mm. enough to listen to the body and saying what's arising in me yeah. and as soon as i do speak of it there is a burning there's something still very, you know, strong in there. And so in, in that, they still have me. <laughs> if you imagine a light bulb, a uh, positive force, negative force, and then you put a filament between the two, creates light. Once you put the filament between the two, there's no positive, no negative. There's just opposing energies that are connected by an isthmus. So we have to become an isthmus. While we're still angry, we fall into the left and we're not connected to the light. While we're too positive, two socks and sandals, too 
particularly sweet, we're not connected to our own dark side. Rumi says uh, there is a, a field beyond good action and wrong, uh, good action and bad action, between right action and wrong action. I'll meet you there. So you imagine good action, bad action, and then this field of light that's created by the soul as it places itself as the isthmus between the two creates light. To create light, we have to burn. This is uh, something the Victor, or what's his name, the guy that wrote Man's Search for Meaning, but he said that those who heal must burn. But it's a literal thing. We have to have the negative and we have to have the positive. But when we connect them together by this filament or this firmament of the soul, when we put the soul between the two, which is what we're doing now, there'll be part of us that really want to do this podcast and part of us that's afraid of it because of all the things it might bring and all the criticism it might bring. When we place ourselves between those two forces and do the podcast, we're creating light. There's no darkness and light in this room. There is just light. There's no good and bad. So the idea is that it's not that we get rid of the darkness and not that we say it has me. We just go, that's still there. I haven't quite got the control of it yet. So I just need to temper my soul or temper my will force a bit more so I can actively sit between those two forces and burn. But to do that, we need to be tempered. And to be tempered, we need to go through the stations of the cross, you know, where we prepare the body to receive this light. Otherwise, we're going to be like, you know, 100-watt light bulbs that are trying to take in a 1,000 watts. And we're just going to blow, aren't we? I think when you were speaking that, I felt this energy move up to my throat, okay, when you were talking. Yeah. Immediately, I almost felt like I wanted to cry. I yeah. mean, you could hear a crack in my voice. Yeah. This is energy that needs to be released. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm going to push it down just for the purpose of just this enough. interview. Yeah. But it is something that is trying to come out in me. Maybe that's all that's needed, that I have to have a good freaking cry yeah. about it and let it out. You know, oh. I need to give myself that space. But, you know, if you are present, listen and feel, you know, what's happening within you. I mean, it's all there. Yeah, my throat was just like, oh, I could just, ah, uh, and I wanted to cry. That's the sign of the Holy Dove. The Holy Dove, the Holy Spirit is, is the feminine energy. It's, it's the energy that comes down and copes the soul. It's, it Christs it, layers it and layers it so that we're able to be stronger filaments for the energy of love. You can't just take this energy in and put it back out again. If there's lots of corruptions in our body still, if there's lots of unhealed wounds, you know, those things need to be lined first. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's just going to move through and it's going to do damage. So what we do is something St. Francis says, we do the necessary, if that's all we can do. And then we do the possible, but we do all of it. And then you'll find that the impossible will start to look after itself. So you're talking about this energy. When I had that energy, same as you, it came out in depressions. It kept pushing it down or it came out in rage or it came out in self-harm. It came out in sexual self-harm. Later, it came out in violence. Once I started to control it and see that it wasn't my enemy, it wasn't a harbinger of doom, it was a messenger of hope. Once I started to notice it, I've, so far I've written, I don't know, 50 books, you know, 15 films, stage plays. I did a musical two years ago based on the, on the Bhagavad Gita. I am a prolific writer. I'm a prolific speaker. All the energy we talked about, it's not incandescent. So an incandescent bulb loses 90% of its light to heat because it's incandescent. It just goes everywhere. And that's how I was before. But now I am an, an LED light. I get, my energy goes through the soul, what I call directional light. So it all goes into words like this and work like this and books and articles or meditation and prayer. There is nothing that's going to leave my thought my mouth or my actions that does not accord with wisdom and love. I'm going to make mistakes the same as everybody, but I'm going to capture it very quickly because I have watchers around me who help me to notice if I fall out of alignment. So your energy is massive and it's beautiful because it wants to be expressed. But if you want to be Christed, in other words, if you want to be magnified by a thousand, we need to make sure we're tempered and ready for that. We're still being defeated by the little temptations in our life. We're not going to cope with the big temptations. If we're still being 
tripped up by the mundane, we're not going to do very well with the magical. This is a powerful and beautiful force. Mm -hmm. But if we're not prepared for it, we're just not going to receive it. So that's why I encourage people to do the things that are right in front of them, the necessary, if that's all you can do. Then the possible, but do all of the possible. Then the magical and the impossible will notice you and it will alight with you and it will bring you the right teachers. It will bring you the right podcasts. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to listen to a podcast like this and be fed by it. That's not enough. You need to go out and you need to be muscular. You need to do the work. Again, I know I'm here to promote my book but if you look at Eckhart's book he's a very muscular book and saying this is how you can control your vessel so that you can be the person that conducts this energy and if it's rising up absolutely it's rising up because the spirit in the room that's what we've done we've created a proximity that will repel some energies and draw in other energies it'll repel some energies because they're going to be converted by it and it'll draw other energies in because they want to be converted Mm -hmm. so we have the power if we're able to master this tabernacle, and that's the necessary and possible, then this beautiful, impossible energy will work through us. And we could be sat in a room anonymously, and that room or that house uh, or that town or that city can be healed just because we're there, just because we're there. That's the power of this force. The soul has the power to encompass the whole world if we're able to make ourselves the right vessel to contain it. And it won't be us. It won't be Jeff Thompson or Chana. It will be the spirit working through us. That's worth getting up every morning for. That's worth getting out of bed in the morning for. And and that's the work. And the work isn't going to be about getting him right over there or making sure this person sees justice. The work is just going to be on ourselves. That's what's exciting. We can do this work from our front room. You know, one thing that, came up for me just now also when you were speaking that sometimes these things are unconscious. I mean, I've shared a story with my listeners that when I was 11 years old, I was sexually abused. But for some reason, I felt like it just didn't bother me like it did other people. I don't know why. This is what I used to say. Yeah. Now, as I began my healing journey and making space, as I'm becoming more aware and as I'm reading Eckhart's book, And I'm getting healthier. All of a sudden, there was this night where it came to me. And I realized it had been controlling me unconsciously. My body is actually what told me. So I was laying in bed and my partner, he woke me up and my body went tense, which it always would if I was woken up. And I'd get Mm. so angry and I'd be like, get it over with. Yeah. And then I, but I always was like that, but I never knew why. And then all of a sudden, I remembered, I didn't think this bothered me. Yeah. And here it had been living in me all this time, reacting, and I was unconscious to it. So then I told my partner, I'm going to do some work on this. I know exactly why. And, you know, and I did. And I said, you're going to have to wake me up again, and we're going to have to try. And he said, oh, my God, I will never. (laughs) (laughs) And really, I had to beg him to. (laughs) It doesn't happen anymore because I now I know I'm safe. And that's what I said. And he even, you know, validated. We talked about this. He's like, you know, I would never hurt you. I'm like, I know. But my body, the memory, the wound, the trauma had not been nourished. It had not been cared for, loved, and forgiven, really, truly. Yeah. And once I was able to, it was just such a big moment in my life. Very courageous. I was free from something I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, that's very true. A lot of it is unconscious because we're afraid to look at it because we don't know what it means. The biggest thing with the abuse I had when I was a kid was confusion. I absolutely was cognitively dissonant. So part of me just abandoned my, my old self and kind of moved on and then built an armory around it, built a tank around it, built all this war paint in my body and took away all the prettiness from my face because I was a pretty kid and built up this huge body and I could could kill in 30 languages. I became a master martial artist because I was unconsciously trying to protect myself. Um, And when I understood it, I wrote about it, so my individuation process came mostly through the writing. I was able to release it a bit at a time. And every time I released it, 
Nothing was killed. It was just converted. The light in it was a gift. It was converted. That's why they say in Judaism, if you ever see anybody that's harmed you, chase after them and serve them because they have something of yours and you need it back and you have something of theirs. So you give them back their parasite and you take back your autonomy. And you do that by injuring them. And you injure them by telling them the truth. You go, well, what you did wasn't acceptable. Even if you'd only do this in your mind, because whether it's internal or external, it's the same. Everything is connected. So it's more powerful if you can go into your mind. And if it's at a state of like telling somebody how you feel, then you tell them in your mind. If it's at the level of repentance and you've made a mistake like I have, then you go to God in your mind or to your higher soul and you just go, I see this. This happened on my watch and I take full responsibility and I accept the consequences and I'm contritely remorseful and I don't do that anymore and I wouldn't do that again and I'm asking for mercy. And mercy comes from the old word, I think it's mercicus, but it, it just basically means exchange. So I'm going to give you my contrite remorse um, I'm going to give it over to God and he will exchange it for consciousness. He will take that and clean it and give me consciousness. So it takes a lot of courage to do what you did. I really admire you. And to do what you're doing now, to do podcasts like this, I know from my own journey, because I made a lot of mistakes because I was so damaged. I ended up going into uh, a nightclub bouncer and I was very violent for a long time because I thought I was protecting the world, but I was just causing more damage. So I've had to really clean that, you know, and, and uh, a lot of that cleaning was done through what you would call spiritual fasting. And spiritual fasting is no longer engaging or eating those kind of foods, those subtle foods, and also fasting in the sense of charity. So I would go and talk to prisoners in jail or I'd go and talk to people who were troubled. I'd go, I went all around the country doing tours, but basically my talks were confessional. My talks were like, this is how I fasted. I said to people, I've made all of these mistakes, but look, I'm living a great life now because I've repented. And to repent means just really, really means to repair. It means to return to love. It means we've fallen out of alignment. We've become divided and divided again. It means that we're becoming unitary again. It means we're becoming singular. We're coming back to our own geometric point. So it means to repair or to return to love or to find refuge. In Buddhism, refuge is the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. In other words, the teaching, the teacher and the community, which is what we're amongst. That's what refuge is. So it's really just about this greater energy saying, I want to connect. I want you to reconnect with me. That's what religion means. Religion means it comes from the word religare. It means to reconnect man to man, man to his source. So he said, I want you to reconnect and I'm going to help you to remove these blockages gently a little bit at a time, but you need to be courageous. So we do this talk and write the books and do the films. My stuff especially has been very confessional because that's how I turn darkness so that it becomes a light. Not that it becomes light, but it becomes a light. So I convert the spirit or the spark of wisdom that's in it and I give it out to the world and it is planted like a seed. So what is exposed to light becomes a light. Once we've done this podcast, because we're working on a very congruent spiritual level, what we're saying will become a light and it will be there forever. It will be in the Akashic forever. Maybe it'll be on the internet forever, but it'll be in the Akashic forever because we've spoken it. And it's come from love. And at some point, some kid might access this video at four in the morning when he's cold with sweat and he feels like he can't go on. He feels like he can't overcome his darkness and he feels like he could never be forgiven himself for what he's done, but he can. The repentant is welcomed with the fatted calf because he's got so much darkness in him that can be converted to light. Of course, his return, of course, his return is welcome. So there's nobody that can't return. There's nobody that can't heal. And I'm living proof of that because I may present here as a middle-aged, balding, articulate man, but I was hugely violent for a long time. I was not a kind person in so many respects. And this is something I've spoken about in all the books I've written. But I live a beautiful life now because I refuse to allow any negativity 
into this tabernacle. I refuse. Forgiving the self. I feel like that usually is the toughest one. We can often forgive other people. It's forgiving the self that is Mm. sometimes the hardest. Yeah. We don't love ourselves unconditionally. Yeah. Again, we have to recognize that we haven't got the power to forgive ourselves. We haven't got that power. It's not a human power. We have the power to repent. When I was studying for this book, this is 99 Reasons to Forgive, I said to God in my prayers, I don't understand forgiveness. I've done it and I know the metaphysical power of it, but I don't know how to articulate it to people. I I just don't know how to articulate it. and I'm not convincing people. I want to help people because I've experienced it and it's so freeing, but I couldn't articulate it. This book came as a direct response to my request. It wasn't just the book. The book downloaded, but it also led me towards 110 hours of lecture from the Tanya, which is one of the commentary books on the Torah from the Judaic faith. And it was nearly all about repentance. It was basically saying you, you can't forgive yourself. That's why you're struggling with it, and that's why you're cognitive dissonant. That's why you're going around the circles, but you can repent. So you can give it over to a higher power. You, but you can only do that if you are contritely remorse. And if you're contritely remorse, you don't need anybody else to say it's okay. You just go to that higher power. You say, this is what I did, and I own all of it. I own all of it. You know, I may have been violent because I was displacing my anger, but I still did it. So I own that. I accept that responsibility for that. And then I give it over to him, and then I take whatever the consequences are. And he says to me, this is something from the Zohar, that if you are contrite in your remorse, your sin will be as though it never happened, as though it never existed. So we can wipe it clean, but only if we can own it. So it's like going into the divine plumbing and removing all of the detritus. But to do that, we have to look at it. We have to accept it. We have to say, there may have been circumstances, but this still happened on my shift. I still did it. And I take full responsibility. I'm not going to say, I did this, but my wife didn't understand me, or I did this, but society was against people like me. I'm going to say, this happened on my shift, and I am so remorseful, and I'm not doing it now, and I won't do it in the future. Please guide me. Please show me how I can fix this. And this energy will welcome you back. If you go one step towards it, it will come 10 steps towards you. And the people that have done the most damage have the most potential for ascension because they have so much light to convert. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you get a guy like Milarepa, the Buddhist saint, killed 35 people, the reason they still talk about him thousands of years after his death is because he was a murderer turned saint. St. Paul was a murderer. He, prosecu- he persecuted Christians. He wrote 17 of the books in the New Testament. He is a profound orator. His words are so full of spirit. Even modern-day people like Mandela, you know, people forget that this modern-day saint was a terrorist. He tried to fix problems with violence before he converted on Robin Island. So people that have had a difficult past and who convert that darkness into light became, become great messengers. They become great shepherds. It's open for everybody. It's open for anybody. If we want to receive this light, we just it's easy. You just need to make room for it. Easy in principle. Mm-hmm. So everybody out there who thinks they can't be forgiven, They can be forgiven. You know, at least one thing that was good about the Christian religion was that I was so scared to death I'd go to hell. I pretty much was a good girl my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, lots of the dogma is distorted, but we can go beyond the dogma. We can go beyond all that. We can find out for ourselves, you know, but mostly there is only one legitimate fear, one fear only, and that's the fear of being separated from God, being separated from our, our source. And God speaks to us then through conscience, and the conscience speaks to us through the sympathetic nervous system. So we feel fear. So that's no bad thing. You know, just like if I touch a hot stove, uh, I'm going to, the laws of heat are going to tell me that's not good for me. I may have to drag my child away from a busy road, and they might not appreciate it as I'm doing it because it might feel like a violent act, but I'm actually protecting them from moving traffic. So there are energies that are guiding us all the time, and sometimes they guide us with divine shocks, but that's for our protection because it's a parental force, just like our own you know, parental guidance for their own children. We fear for them not understanding the laws of the fixed laws of this moving planet, so we teach them in any way we can, and we give them a healthy respect 
that if you, a healthy fear. Now, if, if you do this, this will happen. Fear is a big subject. It's well, you started with it at the beginning, which I love because it is the only subject really, and the only. But there's only one fear, and that's the fear of separation from God. And God lets us know that with conscience and through the sympathetic nervous system. But conscience is a language. God is yeah. speaking to us through conscience. It might feel uncomfortable, but he's saying, I'm, I'm just trying to communicate to you through this physical body. Yeah. And then he says to look at all of this darkness. You know, that's what you're here for. You're here to convert it to light. You're not here to judge it because that adds darkness to darkness. You're not here to hit it with a stick because that adds darkness to darkness. You're not here to point a finger at it. You know, you're not here to project. You're not here to be outraged. You're here to convert it into darkness. We've, we let's end where we started. Forget the business of the world. The business of the world is no business of yours. What fruits are you bringing? Love, compassion, forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a reciprocal universe. So what we give out, we're going to constantly return. It's going to return to us. So it's intelligent to be kind in what we think what we say and what we do, because it goes out. It doesn't just go out as a thought. It goes out as a spirit. We're constantly releasing spirit. If it's coming through a dark filter, it's a dark spirit. If it's yeah. coming through a filter of love, we're going to put out love into the world, and that's going to constantly return. Mm -hmm. yeah. So can I ask you, this is 99. Why not 100? It's inspired by the 99 names of Allah from the Quran to represent for infinity. Uh, when Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive, Lord? He says, should I forgive seven times? He said, you should forgive 47 times seven. It, it's just, uh, it's just yeah. a simile for infinite. You should continually forgive because you are giving it over to me and I'm going to heal it. So 99 are the 99 names or the 99 attributes of God, um, but each of them, contains a tincture of God, which is like a hologram. So it contains all of God. And each of them has different qualities, but all of them come back to the same thing, love. And there's a lovely thing that Rumi said, I love Rumi, said, uh, fear knocked on the door, love answered. There was no one there. So we just nurture love in ourselves. And that is an attribute of God. And if it's an attribute of God, it contains all of God. It has the seed of God in it which we can allow to expand in us. And like I said, if the word God isn't suitable for somebody, they could use the word consciousness or the word, at least the word love, but it's a powerful energy. I love us. Thank, Thank you. you so much for bringing all of this wisdom. I thought it was very needed for the world. I thought you explained it very well. And I love that you have the same favorite book as me, because I believe it's a very powerful <laughs> book. It changed my right. life. When I'm confronted with any kind of adversity or arguments or whatever, I have control over what's yeah. come out of my mouth. I, I pause, yeah. I have space. And a lot of times in that, I find that compassion, love, instead of just letting fear overtake me. Yeah. It's very powerful. Yeah. Recognizing that what you're angry at, you're bound to. And what you're bound to, you feed. Do we want that? Do I want somebody, you know, to have that power over me? Do I want him to have control of my autonomy? Because it means I can think about him and he takes over my autonomy. That might steal a day, might steal, might steal a week, it might steal a whole lifetime. Mm -hmm. I have the cho I have the choice not to engage that, not to identify with it. Yeah. So tell everybody where they can find your book. Um, they can find it on Amazon. I think it's out in America now as well. You can find me on. Jeff underscore Thompson underscore official at Instagram. So Jeff with a G, Thompson with a P. That's my only official presence on the internet. I'm not on the internet, but I do post on the internet. So I have a, a wonderful girl called Gabriella who runs my Instagram account. So I post on there every week. Very nice. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And now it's time to break that shit down. There's a lovely line in the Bhagavad Gita. It's from the Hindu texts, and that comes from the Vedas, which is like 500,000 verses. And it sums it all up for me. It says, lift the self by the self. Never let the self droop down. The self is the self's only enemy. The self is the self's only friend.
begins and ends with you. Mm. I love that. That's our access to God. There's a geometric point, a singularity, mm-hmm. the soul in all of us. And our job is to find that and to nurture it. Mm. Well, it's been a pleasure and it was nice to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. And I, I really love your courage and your openness. I really admire you. Thank you. You too. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul Podcast. And thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one or help support Sense of Soul Podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening. Another blood-red sunset and yet another moon face And still another hundred miles to my next resting place Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car, I'm all alone But feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to I'm driving, wandering.